Hey, what's up, folks? This is Tony Brewer. You're listening to Cogitations. Cogitations is the podcast where we think about things, we contemplate them, we turn them over in our minds, and then we discuss them. Daniel chapter 7, verse 28, Daniel writes, Hitherto is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my cogitations much troubled me, my countenance changed in me, but I kept the matter in my heart. Now, we're not going to keep the matter in our heart. We're going to talk about it. And today we're going to talk about this dream I had, as crazy as that sounds. Let's talk about this. So here at the Riverview Church of Christ, once a month, my good friend Ayo Kunle delivers gospel sermon. It's uh, We have a monthly fellowship meal, and I lead singing. He delivers the sermon. And then, of course, I teach the classes. With that being said, he preached a, a very good lesson. And in it, uh, the, the scripture reading associated with the lesson was 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And we'll read that during this podcast, I think. It's not a, ever a bad thing to just read that chapter in its entirety. There's so much we can garner from it. I think sometimes uh, we get so busy fighting against false doctrine, which we should do, that we go to 1 Corinthians 13, and we're really good at proving that the age of miracles is over. But there's so much in that uh, chapter about love and maturity and how God loves us and the, the most excellent thing. And the idea is, let's read it in its entirety. So we'll do that for a moment. But I wanted to talk about this dream I had. In this dream, there was a young woman, and she was a little worldly, and she was reluctant to hear anything about the gospel of Christ because she was looking out into the world and seeing all of this, um, all of the pain, all of the suffering and all of the hardships that people go through, and she wanted to live a life of, uh, well, hedonism, really. It, it's, it's a life dictated by your own fleshly desires, and she thought that the strictures that being a Christian would place upon her and upon her body was very, very unloving. In fact, uh, she didn't understand how God is love because the way she's defining love is the very opposite of what love is. And here's the way she was defining love. And I understand, I'm dreaming all of this. Uh, Love is not placing any boundaries in her mind. Love is allowing someone to do whatever they want to do, when they want to do it, with no consequences. And I, I spoke to her from the standpoint of a parent. I said, could you just look at some children who were who were reared in a household where those children got to do anything they wanted to do. Children crave boundaries from their parents. The way a parent shows that they love their child is to place boundaries upon them. Look, you can't go out into the front yard because we live on a busy street and you might get run over by a car if you don't pay attention and wander too close to the road. That is very loving, but that child might want to go and play in the front yard. It would be very inviting. There's beautiful scenery and flowers, and maybe there's a hill that has just the right slope that it's fun to lay down in the grass and roll down. We're talking about a young child here. But yet, the parent has to say, you can't go out into the front yard. Now, you allow those, that child to go out in the backyard and play, And there's plenty of fun things to do in the backyard, but it's not the front yard. And by and by, 
that child might slip around the house and be in the front yard. And the parent notices that this child is in the front yard, and that is a a breaking of the rule. And what happens? Well, the parent might go out and punish the child, whether it be a spanking, whether it be timeout, whether it be you can no longer go outside and play by yourself until you learn how to listen. And all of that she considered is unloving. And I'm like, no, that's the definition of love. If it were the case that you saw on the news, uh, a a four-year-old child got run over in the street because the parents were not paying attention and because the parents just said, you can go do whatever you want to, we would look at those parents and say, you are very unloving parents because you didn't care enough about your children to look out for their best interest when they couldn't look out for it themselves. And that's what I want to talk about today. And I'm going to, I'm going to talk about the chastisement of the Lord just a little bit. I've put out a lot of com, uh, content about the chastisement of the Lord, but we're going to, um, we're going to talk about this today. And I'm going to go to 1 Corinthians, as I said, and we're going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 13 in its entirety from the New King James Version of the Bible. So let's go. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, And though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Is not puffed up does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails, but whether there be prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as also I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Folks, love is the supreme guide. Love is the supreme guide, maybe the supreme standard. It would be a better word. And we need to, we need to internalize that. And so this imaginary woman that I dreamt up who was so resistant to the gospel because of her misunderstanding of love, she didn't understand what love was. And I asked her, I said, question, what if all of these things, these strictures as you see them, that Christianity would place upon you, 
were all from a loving, beneficent God that cared about your long-term happiness and safety. For instance, you want to go out and enjoy this sexual revolution of modernity. And you want to sleep indiscriminately. And you want to have sex indiscriminately. I'll just call it what it is. What if that actually harms you? And if you give your life to Christ, he says, sex is reserved for a married man and a married woman. And you will have a much higher quality of life. Is that not more loving than a lowercase g God that says, go live however you want to live. It's all up to you. I don't, I'm not going to place any kind of boundaries. You just go experience everything this world has to offer and we'll see how well it works for you. I was trying not to poison the well in my dream, but here's what I wanted to say. And I remember thinking this in my dream was crazy. Isn't God placing strictures upon you because he loves you and because he wants to keep you safe and he wants to have you live a better quality life here on this earth going into eternity? Isn't that more loving than a lowercase g God saying, go do whatever you want to do and figure it out for yourself. I don't care enough to give you boundaries. Think about Think about playing a game. <clears throat> if you play a game, you need to know the rules. And I've done this illustration before. I've pulled a young man up from the audience, and I said, okay, we're going to play a game. You good with that? And he knows it's an illustration, so he's going along with me at this point. I said, we're going to play a game. Are you good with that? He said, yes, sir. I said, all right. We're, we're playing the game right now. I'm not going to tell you what it's called. I'm not going to give you any rules, but you go first. He got uncomfortable. The, the, that level of anxiety, his level of anxiety rose. Why? Because he knows he can't play the game because he don't know what's expected of him. Uh, we call this um, game, this card game, Mal, M-O-W, My Own Way. And the idea was you had a set of rules in your mind, and you're, a, and you're, you're the dealer, and you have a set of rules in your mind, and you deal the cards, and everybody has to play cards but they have to figure out the rules that you've set. And it's very funny, but it does produce a little bit of anxiety because nobody likes to take action unless they know the rules. What does a loving God do? He gives you the rules. And if you follow those rules, you will have a better life on this earth than you would otherwise. Now, if you love him, if, as Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 states, if you believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him, then you will have faith. That's, that's without faith, it's impossible to please him. Then you will go on into the next life and, and enter into that eternity in a loving relationship with a beneficent, loving Heavenly Father. So the sad thing is the girl in the dream, she acquiesced and, and she said, yes, I think that's good. My, my definition of God, my understanding of God has changed. I don't know whether she ever obeyed the gospel. This is it's really weird that I had such a vivid dream. But I'm sharing these thoughts with you today because I thought they was good. I thought, I thought it would be good to share these things with you. So let's talk about this chastisement of the Lord then. The, the chastisement of the, of the Lord is the way he shows us that he loves us. And people of the world look at the chastisement of the Lord 
as an unloving thing. But that's the equivalent, that's the analog to a petulant, undisciplined four- or five-year-old child looking at the boundaries that a loving parent sets upon them as very unloving. When in reality, a good parent that sets boundaries and expectations for their children, that is the definition of love. Listen to this. Hebrews chapter 12. My son, this is verse uh, 5. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom the father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Now we can put that in its context as how it related to the letter to the church that are comprised of Hebrews that have converted to Christ. But the general principle is we experience chastisement from the Lord because he loves us. I think about this meme that goes around Facebook from time to time. And it's a, it's a cartoon meme, and there's a guy that's just jumping over a fence, or he's walking up to a fence, and he says, I can't stand fences. I'm not going to let this fence control me and keep me in. And he's going through the, the motion of jumping over it. In the next frame, he's jumping over it, and there's, a, there's a, another man running up behind him trying to catch him and say, it's not a fence. It's a guardrail. And the other side of the fence is a straight-down cliff. And, of course, the idea is that man is jumping to his death. Those chastisement, those boundaries are there because God loves us. Let's go to Romans chapter 1 and notice this passage of Scripture. Starting in verse 26, For this reason God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. What do you think this is talking about? Folks, this is talking about sexually transmitted diseases. Now, think about a, a person who wants to live a hedonistic lifestyle and wants to partake of the, of the sexual progressivism of this modern age. What is one of the risks that they run? God wants them to be pure. Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled. God made one man, one woman, and he made sex to be enjoyed between that monogamous married couple. Anything else is a perversion, and you are begging for trouble when you do that. One of the things that will happen to you is if you have multiple partners, then you will greatly, exponentially, orders of magnitude exponentially increase the likelihood of you receiving in your body a sexually transmitted disease. If you receive a sexually transmitted disease, then your ability to be promiscuous will be diminished because people will find out you have a sexually transmitted disease and all of these heathen partners that you've had will not want to have sex with you because you have that sexually transmitted disease. You will have been chastised by the rules 
of the universe that God has implemented. This is how God chastens those whom he loves. He tells people, marriage is honorable in all in the bed undefiled. As a man and a woman who are married to one another, you can enjoy the sexual pleasures of that relationship with no uh, with, with no bad thing that could happen, with no chastisement whatsoever. But if you're not a married man and married woman enjoying that together, or if you bring more partners into that union, well, God is not going to set up on his throne in heaven and make it where you can't do that. But you will receive unto yourself this, uh, what is it? Receiving in themselves the penalty of their error. You will receive a penalty for that error, which is due, which is meat, which is perfectly suited to the error. And then what will happen? Well, you won't be able to be promiscuous anymore. The word chastisement has to do with sexuality, but it has, an, it, it has a usage that means a stricture. So if someone is chastised, that means their ability to function in a certain way is removed from them. So if, if, if you are chastised for lying, that means your ability to affect, to affect the world and affect yourself negatively by lying is diminished. In other words, you're not allowed to lie anymore. Well, how does God chastise someone for being a liar? Well, I'll go back to another personal experience. I was in a Christian bookstore in Memphis, Tennessee, 2014, 2015, somewhere thereabouts. And I was looking at this four-foot section of uh, archaeology books. And connected to this four-foot section was a book on, was the section of books on end-of-the-world prophecy, okay? I get, uh, apocalypse, archaeology, I don't know. That, anyway, they were close to one another. And I hear this voice, and it's kind of a deep voice, and he goes, so you like prophecy? <laughs> Well, yeah, no, I, I don't know how to answer that, brother. You know, talk to me some more about that. He thought that I was looking at this book from John Hagee about the blood moons and about the end of days and stuff like that. And we had a really good Bible study in the Bible bookstore. And he told me that he said, you know, I, I used to be a liar. And I'm like, really? He said, yeah, I know what you're thinking. He said, you don't understand. I used to lie all the time. I lied. When it didn't help me, I, I don't know why I lied so much, but I had to stop. And the reason I had to stop is because I lost all my friends. Nobody trusted me and I lost my job. And finally, the Holy Spirit, now this is where it kind of gets weird. Finally, the Holy Spirit got a hold of me and told me I had to stop lying, that that was the problem with what was happening in my life. And if I stopped lying, my life would be better. And, and the Holy Spirit also told me that I needed to start a lawn business. And now I have a lawn business and I have men working for me and uh, my life is much better and I just don't lie. Now, I don't think he was lying about the Holy Spirit telling him he needed to stop lying and start a lawn business. Here's the way I think the Holy Spirit told him. He read the Bible and he concluded that his life was in shambles because he was lying. And he also concluded that since he's not trusted by anyone, he was going to have to prove his trust, but he had lied so much 
he no longer, he was chastised about his lying by God to the point that he no longer had the opportunity to be even given a little trust to prove himself in the small things so he would then be proven, then he would be trusted in the large things. So he did the only thing he could. He went and got a push mower, a ride mower, and a weed eater and started working for himself by himself is the key issue there and started mowing yards. And he just made sure that he showed up when he said he was going to show up and mowed and weed eated the way he said he was going to do and and all that good stuff. And eventually he got a crew underneath him. Well, the, the Bible would teach you all of that. And I think what a lot of these folks, uh, they conflate the Holy Spirit telling them stuff with the conclusions that they draw from studying the Word of God, which is still, in a sense, the Holy Spirit telling them. But he was thinking this was some kind of miracle. He was just misunderstood. But I wanted to relate that to you um, because of the, of the podcast today. That would be how the Lord would chastise someone who's a liar. So the Bible says, don't lie. Why? Because your life will be in shambles and you will be robbed of the opportunity to be able to tell a lie. In other words, if you don't stop lying on your own, the universe is going to chew you up and spit you out as if you were a sour persimmon, and you will no longer be around people to whom you can lie. So we can, and it's almost as if God is saying, we can do this the easy way, or we can do this the hard way. Do you want to, do you want to get a sexually transmitted disease and then be forced to stop having sex with multiple partners? Do you want to have your life in shambles and nobody trust you? Or do you want to just stop lying? That's the idea. You see, the chastisement of the Lord is not a reason to be resistant to the gospel. The chastisement of the Lord is a reason to obey the gospel. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Because of the chastisement of the Lord, you might be forced to live soberly and righteously. You might be forced as that man that I met in that Christian bookstore to get your mind right and start thinking soberly. And you might be forced to start acting in an upright way before your fellow man because you just have no other choice. But that should lead you down the path to being godly as well, which is being in a right relationship with God through his commandments, his precepts, and his divine examples. Folks, don't loathe the chastisement of the Lord. These things that we don't participate in because of our Christian convictions, these things are not grievous, and they're not given arbitrarily. They're given because God loves us. The strictures that are placed upon us through Christianity and our submission to it. They are not fences holding us in. They are guardrails there for our safety, put there by a loving and beneficent God because he loves us. Folks, 
I hope this podcast is something that you can share with somebody. I hope this podcast gives you some fuel for your fire, some arrows for your quiver. And this has been Tony Brewer with Cogitations. And we'll catch you on the flip side.